0: All right. So, welcome back to Psych 213, Abnormal Psychology. What we're going to do is we're going to get started in the material for today. We're going to make our way partway through, I have a feeling. And then what we'll do is we will continue this recording next class. So, we watched a couple films before I started recording. I can't really record the films audio-wise because, again, copyright reasons. But today's topic is Chapter 7 in our textbook. It's called Somatic... Uh, symptom disorders and dissociative disorders. So the full name is somatic symptom disorders and dissociative disorders. If you're prior to May of 2013, dsm 4 and, and TR and before, they called these somatoform disorders and dissociative disorders. So they kind of changed the name a little bit and they restructured it a bit. So we're gonna make our way through. So here we go, right? Somatic symptom disorders are concerned primarily with bodily symptoms which are thought to have a psychological cause. Somatoform disorders as a category were physiological symptoms that had no physiological basis. Now we've kind of backed off on that a little bit. and We said okay there could be a physiological basis but psychology or psychological factors are exacerbating it. They're making it way worse. The second category, which we'll talk about next recording, is dissociative disorders. They're concerned um, with certain disruptions of consciousness, memory, and identity. Prior to the recording, we had a presentation on dissociative identity disorder, so that falls into the dissociative disorder category, and we'll talk more about those next class. Now, here's why they're kind of grouped together in the same chapter, ready? They're controversial, they're unusual. Sometimes they're difficult to identify. How do you identify a physical disorder that doesn't really have a physical cause? How do you you identify an identity disorder or a consciousness disorder that doesn't really have a physical cause? It makes it difficult. And it's difficult to determine the difference between malingering, malingering means to fake, for some reason, to feign an illness, um, and then a true disorder. Keep in mind, when we talked about um, diagnosis and the problems with labeling, we talked about the Rosenhan study from 1973. Remember Rosenhan um, sent colleagues to a mental health facility? They're supposed to fake to get into the facility. They're supposed to just say that they heard thud, and then once they gained admission into the facility, they're supposed to act normal. So could people fake disorders that don't have a physiological basis, sure. I mean, how would we know if you've truly switched an identity or not? How do we know if you're truly feeling pain or not? If you tell me you're feeling pain, you may or may not be. You could be drug searching, you know, or doing something else. So let's talk a little bit about malingering. Malingering is not a mental disorder, all right? Um, it's included in the DSM-5 under other conditions that may be the focus of clinical attention. Again, it's a V-code. If you remember when we talked about V-codes, malingering's a V-code. It's under the subset of non-adherence to treatment. So, again, people who don't follow treatment, oftentimes maybe they're malingering, maybe they're faking it, maybe they're doing it for some reason. Here's a quote from the DSM-5. It says, malingering involves, quote, The intentional production of false or grossly exaggerated physical or psychological symptoms motivated by external incentives such as avoiding military duty, avoiding work, obtaining financial compensation, evading criminal prosecution, or obtaining drugs. So faking or grossly exaggerating symptoms in order to try to get something. You're trying to get something out of it. So intentional faking of a physical or psychological symptom, that's malingering. And that's not a somatic symptom disorder. It's something different. But it makes it difficult to try to figure out what, what, you know, if someone's suffering or not. So malingering, what are some situations in which malingering should be suspected? Number one, a person is undergoing an evaluation for legal purposes so maybe there's a court order maybe you're trying maybe you're you know up on criminal charges and you're being evaluated one study found that 8% of malingering incidents in criminal criminal defendants undergoing psychiatric evaluation so about 8% of those undergoing psychiatric evaluation in some ways are faking or trying to exaggerate symptoms Number two, a second situation in which malingering should be suspected, a person's report of disability or distress that is inconsistent with objective findings. So you go and you take a look at at the findings, but this person is complaining way in excess of what you would expect, right? Or it's just not consistent at all with what you would expect. The third one, a person is uncooperative with the diagnostic evaluation. Why are they being uncooperative? Because maybe they don't want you to know what's really going on. Again, they're maybe for some reason they're feigning an illness or, or not feigning an illness. Um, the fourth one, if antisocial personality disorder is present, which often involves lining or conning for personal gain. Um, When I worked in the prison, um, there was one guy that I was working with, he would always call me down to his cell and he would complain about all these physical symptoms. And he would be pretty accurate in his symptoms, but something told me there was more going on there. And during a background search on him, what I found was that he was known um, for complaining about physiological symptoms and psychological symptoms. His mother was a nurse, a psychiatric nurse, and so found out later, he studied the physician's desk reference of all the medications, knowing what medications created what side effects and created what, and he really was med-seeking. He was manipulating the system to try to get meds to cause him to feel whatever way he wanted to feel that day. So if you wanted to feel up, he would manipulate the symptoms to try to say, oh, let, give me a medication that's going to you know, give me a boost. Or if he wanted to feel, just chill out. And, and it was pretty interesting because he was very creative in his symptom presentation, but it never quite fit. There was always something missing. right? Um, notice it says malingering may be overrepresented among certain conditions, even among PTSD. But again, I'm cautious around PTSD because... How do you know if someone's really having these traumatic flashbacks or they're just feigning it? Could they be feigning it? Um, One other inmate that I worked with um, claimed that he had PTSD because the guards roughed him up. And so, you know, he was still having traumatic effects from that because of the guards. Um, There was more to that story, which I won't have time for, but let's just say that, no. No. And, and what was really interesting is every time they moved this guy, they always had him on camera. So as much as he said that, yeah, you know, he would say that the videotape was edited. It wasn't edited. But again, malingering, feigning for some reason. And the last one, the last time that you'd look for malingering is if a child is the sufferer. You might go, well, why children specifically? Well, children may exaggerate symptoms. You know, they're dying or they're feeling really terrible when really they're just trying to get out of going to school that day. And do kids do that to try to stay with their parents? Hell yeah, right? So we see that. Um, Somatic symptom and related disorders, they involve bodily symptoms that produce abnormal thoughts, feelings, or behaviors. The symptoms may or may not be medically explained. Prior to DSM-5, there was no medical explanation. Um, But that was a requirement prior to DSM-5, that that there was no physical reason for this complaint. Now, as of DSM-5, that's not a requirement anymore. Alright? Symptoms for most somatic symptom disorders are not intentionally produced or faked. In other words, Intentionality starts to come in play here because if you are trying to induce it or you're trying to intentionally produce it, then it's a specific kind of disorder, which we call factitious disorder. Believe it or not, factitious disorder falls under this category, but it's a very unique exception to the rule. All right? So let's talk a little bit about factitious disorder and what it is. All right. Um, oh, before we get there, let me also give you some clarification. I told you guys that this used to be a category called somatoform disorders, right? Somatoform being some form of symptom complaint that has some psychological effect. Well, These categories were actually um, extensively modified whenever they came out with DSM-5. Body dysmorphic disorder used to be in this category, but remember now we've moved it to obsessive compulsive disorder. That obsessive concern with a certain body area or body part that may or may not be grounded in reality. Um, Several other conditions, hypochondriasis, someone who's a hypochondriac believes that they have every illness, but there's no physical reason for it. Somatization disorder, this was a really interesting disorder. Here's what somatization disorder required. You ready for diagnosis? It required at least five different symptoms, or no, seven different symptoms in five different areas, all before the age of 30. So you say you have two physical complaints. You've got a bad knee and a bad back. You've got irritable bowel syndrome. You've got migraine headaches, and you've got some other complaints. It's five symptoms. All happening, all for no physical reason that we can identify, and all occurring before the age of 30. If you're a doctor shopper, and you go from doctor to doctor to doctor, which of course you might do, because you go to the first doctor, and he says there's nothing wrong with you. Go to the second doctor and it says, there's nothing wrong with you. Go to the third doctor for a third complaint says, there's nothing wrong with you. Again, how would you identify this person's had five different complaints in all these different areas? All before the age of 30. Doctor shopper is difficult to do. So somatization disorder, pain disorder, pain disorder, having pain, pain symptoms without any physical reason... People now who are diagnosed with fibromyalgia, back in the day before that was a recognizable medical condition, they would say, oh, the pain is all in your head, there's no reason for it, there's something wrong with you, you have a somatoform disorder. Now we, today, we do admit that fibromyalgia is a true chronic pain disorder that does exist, there's medical evidence for it, and so now we, you know, we don't really talk about pain disorder quite the same way. So. We pulled that in with hypochondriasis, somatization disorder, and then undifferentiated somatoform disorder. And we kind of grouped them all together to come up with some new categories. So just so you know, notice it says, the new syndromes are less concerned with unexplained medical symptoms, more concerned with thoughts, feelings, and behaviors the sufferer experiences. So again, now we're saying there could be a physical reason for it, but your experience is way in excess of what maybe one would expect. It's it's severely disabling you in some way. All right, so here are our categories. Um, somatic, Somatic symptom disorder. Somatic symptom disorder means that there are symptoms that are causing a disproportionate distress and disruption seems to be more common in females, but it can happen at any age. Notice there's no minimum duration required for the diagnosis. We've got illness anxiety disorder. Excessive preoccupation with serious illness has to be present for at least six months. And I would say that this is probably a little bit of what hypochondriasis would have been. Hypochondriasis is that you know chronic concern with getting diseases and illnesses. Illness anxiety disorder seems to be similarly related. The next one is conversion disorder. Actually, the official name is functional neurological symptom disorder, but what we know it as is conversion disorder. Unexplained deficits or symptoms in motor or sensory function, again, that we can't explain. Um, These are the kind of individuals that would show up to Sigmund Freud's office. They had complaints, maybe um, one of the the complaints that's common in um, conversion disorder is called glove anesthesia. Glove anesthesia is this idea that right at the wrist, directly around the wrist, Um, From that point through the rest of the hand, you lose all feeling. Like you're wearing a glove. So there's no feeling at all in your hand. And you might say, well, is that medically possible? And No, it's not. The nerve pathways don't flow that way. There are actually three nerve pathways that flow up into your hand. So having half of your hand, maybe that's possible. Having two-thirds of your hand, maybe that's possible. But having it cut off specifically at the wrist, And a defined way like that is not something that can be medically explained, right? So it appears to be a conversion disorder. You're converting psychological trauma into a physical complaint. Make sense? And then the last two you see down here are psychological factors affecting other medical conditions. So you have a medical condition, but psychological behavioral factors are adversely making it worse. All right? Um, again, it's a determination. It's these, these categories are a little subjective. We've tried to make them as objective as possible, but when you're dealing with people's perceptions of pain or perceptions of illness, again, there's some subjectivity to that. And then the final category, which is probably going to be the one we're going to start with, right, is what's called factitious disorder. Factitious disorder is falsification of a physical or psychological symptom without an obvious incentive. That's the key part. It's almost like malingering. Malingering is faking or feigning an illness for some gain. It gets you out of something. It saves you from having to go to work or having to go to school or whatever. It gets you out of it. With factitious disorder, it's falsification You know, or exacerbation of a physical complaint for no physical reason. There doesn't, or or no personal gain. There doesn't seem to be a reason why you're doing this, other than maybe attention. You're not getting out of anything. So let's go ahead and take a look at this last category, right? Factitious disorder and factitious disorder imposed on another. Says, unlike malingerers, people with factitious factitious disorder invent or exaggerate their symptoms for no obvious reason apart from playing sick. This is what we used to call Munchausen syndrome, right? So that's what it was called prior to DSM-3. Then we called it factitious disorder from that point. Um, it's the fabrication is not the result of another condition. So it's not like you're delusional or psychotic and then this fabrication is the result of it. The DSM-5, notice it says it specifies factitious disorders for single, episode, or recurrent. So is this something that's an ongoing problem, you do this all the time, or is it just a one time? And notice that usually the episodes are intermittent. They come in and they fade out, and they come in and they fade out. Like lingering, the degree of accuracy of feigned presentation is related to the sophistication of the person's understanding of the disorder. What does that mean? That means you're a better faker if you know more about it. Remember my guy from prison who I said would study the physician's desk reference? He was really good at malingering. He was intelligent, he was sophisticated. He knew exactly what symptoms to say he was suffering from in order to obtain the medication that he was desiring. He was really good at it. Does that make sense? Well, factitious disorder, the same is true. If someone really understands the disorder, then they can really make it worse or exacerbate it. Does this kind of make sense? And what falls into this category is people who do things like this. Let's say that you swallow glass, right? And then run to the emergency room and you're coughing up blood. So they might actually induce in themselves a physical complaint. For no other reason than attention. Right? So just so you know that. Again, it says typically the symptoms worsen when an individual is aware of being observed. That's where the feigning comes in, the faking of it, the exacerbation of it. So it seems to be under observation, oh, it's way worse. We had one guy who said that... um, he was paralyzed. He was suffering from a a conversion disorder, but was it a conversion disorder or a factitious disorder? Was it legitimate, or I hate to say it this way, maybe non-legitimate, in other words, being exacerbated? So this guy claimed that he uh, had a broken back, the officers had beaten him up and broke his back, We had done all sorts of medical tests. There was no broken back. There were no injuries. There were no fractures. There's nothing like that. They videotaped him when he was being moved so there couldn't have been an injury, but he claimed there was. Um, So what happened was he said that he couldn't go down to the dining hall to eat. And so they've gotten the routine of bringing him his food, carrying it all the way into his bed in his cell and sending it down beside his bed. The doctor wasn't, didn't think that it was a true disorder because all the physical evidence had come back as there's nothing wrong with this person. So as soon as everyone would come to the door, oh, he was laying there, he couldn't move, you know, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't walk, somehow he was going to the bathroom, he was doing other things. So what we did was we put a hidden camera in his cell. A camera set up in a way so that we could observe him when he wasn't paying attention. What was really interesting is, you know, we stopped taking the food in and placing it beside his door. Or beside his bed. We put it inside the door. There's a little flap that kicks down. And we put the tray there and we would walk away. Of course, the first couple times he fell off the bed and he would crawl across the floor, pulling himself to get the tray. It was inhumane. We were so vicious and nasty. What was really interesting is when no one was around, we caught him on hidden camera, standing up and walking across the room. So what was he really doing? He was malingering, maybe factitious disorder, but there was no physical reason for it. But what was he gaining from it? Not just attention, but being catered to So again, in that case, we would say more malingering than factitious disorder. But again, you could see how someone could exacerbate it for a reason. Now I want to wrap up this disorder before we move on, so we have one more slide. Um, Factitious disorder imposed on another used to be what we called Munchausen syndrome by proxy. In DSM-IV, it was factitious disorder by proxy. This is where I falsely present symptoms in another person, And when I say falsely, I could induce symptoms in another person. I feed my child something I know is going to make them sick. I take them to the hospital or the emergency room, my child's sick. They go, oh my goodness, it must suck being a parent of a sick child. Oh yes, it's so terrible. But I induced it in them. Does that kind of make sense? Um, In this condition, false symptoms are produced on behalf of someone else who is typically under the individual's care. Most often the victim of factitious disorder imposed on another is a preschool child, and oftentimes the perpetrator is the mom. That tends to be the most common situation. Um, Like factitious disorder, there seem to be external external incentives for the deception, but those seem to be absent. So let me get clear on that. Just like fictitious disorder, other than maybe attention, there's no other incentive for making this person sick or complaining about the symptoms. Yes? Why preschool child? I think preschool children because they're more likely to kind of be convinced by mom that something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, if it's a feigning of a disorder or a faking of a disorder, I think they're more susceptible to that. Um, more believable, you go, oh, you're burning up, you're burning up. Oh, yes, I'm burning up. You know, an adult goes, I don't really feel like I have a fever. So, again, an adult would, would probably be more along the lines of me physically doing something to you to get you to be sick rather than with a child maybe I can get them to go along with it because I seem very convincing. So, factitious disorder. Again, very similar to malingering. The difference is there's no incentives, no external reason why this person seems to be doing what they're doing. So we're going to pause here. We'll talk about the rest of the somatic symptom disorders when we get back together and dissociative disorders. Thanks for listening.